Hey everyone, Brad Souza here, CTO at ABI Systems, and welcome to Eyes on Impact, the podcast series that focuses on human impact, that amazing place where technology and people meet. And today here on Eyes on Impact, my friend David Hotchkiss is joining us. He's the CIO of the Medical College of Wisconsin, the first medical school in the state and still one of the largest research institutes in the region. Now, before we get into our conversation, I wanna give you a little bit of a setup. You ready for this? See, I believe that what we do has a direct impact to our customers' ability to accomplish their goals. You heard it. If you've, if you've known me more than 30 seconds, do you know that I'm absolutely passionate about the way that we do this AVUC digital media thing, the way that IT and media come together. I absolutely love it. Now, not everybody, I get it, sees it the same way that I do. I understand. There's a lot of people who look at IT and think it's the same as plumbing or heating. It's a utility that you have to provide your workforce if you're going to support them. But I don't believe that. I absolutely don't. I believe that what we do has true impact to our customers' ability to accomplish their mission. Why do I believe that? Well, it's because our customers say it's true. They say some crazy things to us. They tell us that we're part of their trade secret. They tell us that we're a strategic element of their go-to-market strategy. Healthcare providers tell us that it's changed the way that they provide care to their patients. Colleges and universities tell us that it's leveled up the way that students learn and teachers teach. Corporations tell us that it's changed the demographics of their workforce. It's shortened the meantime to market. It's enabled them to build consensus around a global initiative. This doesn't sound like a utility to me. It sounds like the ability to transform the organization, something that really has got some human impact to it. So I've got a provocative question for you. Do you believe, do you believe that your organization can accomplish its mission if you don't do what you do? Wow. Let's think about it a little bit differently. If you don't deliver with excellence, can your organization accomplish its goals? Now, before you answer that question, I want you to join David and I in on this conversation because we're going to talk about what it takes to make IT a business enabler, not just a utility. We'll talk about what it means to truly be a business leader and be in the IT space. And you know what? We'll even, even get into a little bit of career planning for all of us who want to level up, level up our career path. So what do you say? You ready to get into it? This is Eyes on Impact. Let's get after it. Well, buddy, it's always good hanging out with you. And I have been looking forward to this time together since uh, we first talked about uh, doing a podcast series. I knew you were one of the first people I wanted to get on the series with us. Um, it's always enlightening and entertaining when we get together. I imagine here in about three seconds, we're going to forget the cameras on and we're just going to do what we normally do. And that to me is just goodness. I know you, many of our listeners probably don't. So how about we start with that? Give us a little bit of, of background to, to David Hotchkiss and MCW and, and, uh, get us a little familiar. Sure. Um, so this this may sound odd because I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a call with you, but I I, I started out as an accountant, and uh, 
I figured, because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So, you know, I was, I was that kind of average student, whatever. And um, so I figured if you could, if you could sort of money made the world go around and if you could count it as an accountant, you know, that's a pretty good job. And I did that for like 14 months and uh, my first job was in healthcare. And I realized, oh no, I mean, no disparagement to accountants, but that's not me. I, I can't, I can't do that. Every month it's the same thing. So I ended up kind of following a very meandering path through managed care, um, just healthcare, all different aspects of it, and found myself, thanks to a mentor, uh, informal mentor, a couple of them, but one primary, who said, you know, you, you seem like you have a knack for IT. And so why don't you go give that a, you know, I, so I have no actual formal training, none, none whatsoever. Um, I just sort of worked hard, did my thing, but was in the right place, right time with great people who looked after me and worked with great people that ultimately got me to, to you today. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an interesting journey. Maybe we'll go into some of it. But one of the things that I like the most is when people say, you know, and this just happened the other day with somebody um, that I was talking to. They said, you're just not, you're not the typical person we expect to talk to. So when we pick up the phone and you're, you know, you're the CIO, whatever, titles are titles. We just expect a different kind of person and you're just not that guy. And I mean, I've taken that as sort of a, a, a true, a true humbling compliment throughout my entire career. Um, uh, MCW is, I have been fortunate to work here for the Medical College of Wisconsin for now I'm in my 11th year. And it is an amazing private freestanding university in the Milwaukee area. We are roughly a $1.5 billion corporation. We do clinical care, as you would imagine, the academic space. We also do the primary areas of teaching, research, and a lot in the community space, which maybe we'll get into a little bit today. You never know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know yeah. that's a passion of yours. Yeah. Um, and, and I've just been leading this, this truly incredible team now for 11 years, and we have accomplished great things together. We see the field pretty well, and... I think we we make a difference to those we serve. And so that's it's kind of me in a nutshell, husband, father, three girls, 21, 20, and 14, all different. Uh, and I, 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 I just hope one of them is willing to take care of me um, when uh, when I reach that, if I reach that ripe old age of needing it. So yeah, well, you know, it's funny you say that. Um... Recently, I was having a conversation with uh, some of my kids, and my daughter-in-law said to me, "Hey, Dad, you don't have to worry because uh, we're going to put you in the best home your money can buy." <laughs> <laughs> and I can just see it delivered so deadpan to you. Right? And they're serious. I mean, they're oh, serious completely. And when they say money can buy, your money can buy. Well, your money can buy. Don't worry about it, Dad. We got you covered. We got you covered. Hey, in, in, along the journey that you've had, you, you mentioned a couple of mentors. Are, are there moments, um, maybe key decisions that kind of shaped your perspective uh, as a CIO? Yeah. So, you know, think of it. There's, there's many. Um, sure. When, when I, so I answered a cold call uh, that was meant for a whole nother aspect of the healthcare organization I was working for in San Antonio, they meant to get the big hospital. They got this little spinoff of the hospital and they got me yeah. a one man IT shop. And I ended up at the Cleveland clinic and, um, the, the, the gentleman I was working for at the time, his name's Tim Thompson. He's down in Florida. He's phenomenal. Um, I remember I was working on a managed care system. That's what I was brought up for. 
and I'd never run a system. I'd never managed anyone. And we were about five months into this thing. And I realized that no one wanted it. I mean, it, it was it was sort of on the tail end of managed care. Things were generally going a different direction in healthcare and insurance and so on. And my wife, you know, she, she uh, Trisha, she had, she had grown up kind of around German family. They had been together their whole time, like generation within like yeah. two blocks, right? Give or take. Yeah. And, um, and I had taken her away to Cleveland. I mean, all the way from San Antonio. That's a, that's a pretty hefty drive. Wow. Yeah. And um, so she's crying like every day for six months. And I go to him, Tim, and I say, Tim, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is working, man. Nobody wants what you brought me up for. Nobody. And Trisha's crying all the time. We're generally miserable. I don't think I should buy a house. I mean, I, I just don't think this is the place for us. And he said, look, I can't tell you whether you should buy a house. That's kind of your decision. But I can tell you that I see something in you that you could be bigger. So I want you not, don't worry about the managed yes. care thing. It'll fix itself. I want you to run our loss and implementation. So this is back in the in the 90s. And, you know, ERPs, enterprise yeah. resource planning systems, they're big, they're expensive, they're on-prem. This is Painful. back in Lawson's, uh, huge. Right. This is back in Lawson's heyday. Um, yeah. And he said, I want you to replace Ernst & Young um, and, <laughs> you know, their whole PMO office. I, I just want, and keep in mind, remember, I've never done any of this. Like any of it. I don't even know what acronyms, to, I mean, like SLA, I don't know what that is. Um, and in their exit interview, they said, Ernst & Young said, I, I, you, you've got an unproven guy coming in. There's no way your project is destined for failure uh, with this guy. And I would have written the same letter, quite honestly, if I was there. We brought it home. Again, great team. I made a lot of mistakes, but I did some things well. We brought it home on time, under budget. And the rest was kind of history. And if he doesn't see that kind of side of me, if he doesn't see Ooh, yeah. the ability to do it, it's a turning point. I mean, I could have yeah. left and who knows? I might have bounced right out of IT. And instead, that cemented sort of my path going forward. And there's a few other moments that we could share, but I don't, I don't want to just go on. Well, you know, it's interesting. As, so I've had the privilege of working with you. I've had the privilege of watching you with your team. I, I've I've had the fun of sharing the stage with you and doing events together, and it's been an absolute blast. Uh, th there's a lot of ways that I would describe you, but one of the ways I would describe you is that you're a leader first and a technologist maybe second or third. It's somewhere down. Is is that kind of close? Would you describe yourself that way? I think it's great that you see me that way. I hope others do. I mean, it's, yeah. it's how I kind of wish to to present. Um, and it's kind of going back to what I talked about earlier, right? So people don't see me as the typical individual in a CIO seat, right? And and I do understand tech, right? I, I, I didn't, I could go back, again, trained accountants. Full disclosure, I've never coded a thing. And in fact, the one project I tried to code in college, it didn't work. I handed it in, it gave me an A anyways. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there's a lot of moments that really got me to where I am today. And that's one of them. Um, the, the, the reason for all of that is if you, if you don't value people based on how they present yeah, yeah, their yeah. skills, their attributes, the, the buttons that work for them, or maybe don't work for them. If you don't, if you don't think about that, it's not that I'm perfect because there's not a leader on the planet that's perfect, but oh, sure. We've got pretty low turnover. And in my leadership team, we have 
really no turnover uh, in my in my tenure. I'd like to think it's partly me and it's partly the place we work and serve in Medical College of Wisconsin. And so it's just mm-hmm. really respecting and treating people as people first. They're not tools. They're not pieces of a machine. They are simply people that have agreed to do what they do in service to MCW. And together, we make some pretty good things happen. And if you don't treat them that way, they could give their skills to anybody. They honestly could. They could probably make more money. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. And and I'm just glad they choose to be with us. I, I, so this, I sorry, real quick. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, people. I think it's changed, and maybe it's just me, but I, I don't think so. I think people choose. They choose to work for an organization, but very quickly after that, they come to decide whether they're going to work for a person. And the the organization's important. What it does, its culture, its mission, really important. And we really, we have sort of that secret sauce at MCW because we do those four missions like I talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they choose to work for a person or not. And so if you're not a leader first, they'll make a decision that you may not like. So I think early in, in my career, I saw the pathway to elevating or promotion or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I think I saw that pathway was through skill set. So if I knew something that others didn't know, if I mastered a skill that others didn't have, that that would become my, my, you know, next step. But um, later in my career, I think I've learned that it's not about skill. It's about leadership. Would, would you, I mean, does that resonate with you? Would you say that's true for what, what you have seen? I think so. But if you hadn't mastered the skill early on, you would never have found your way to that leadership role. Right. So, for sure. so it's a little chicken and egg. So did you need the leadership skills early on? to develop those competencies, those, those, that expertise and individual skills, did you need that to get where you are? I think so. Um, for me, I, it, it's a little more of a, I'm not going to say it's a straight line, but so I'm not going to say it only. What, I mean, what I do is sort of, I present, I organize, I facilitate, I influence I've never had the skills like you did, right? I mean, I didn't, I, I, I could think logically. I could work in databases. I could do things, right? right. And which it was self-taught. Um, but my skills, I sort of developed that sort of ability to influence one of the, one of the, um, the my good friends at the Cleveland Clinic who was on the project team and is there to this day in a, in a senior role in finance. I remember him telling me one time we were at one of our, our, um, hospitals within the the network of the clean clinic and we did our kickoff and everything and he you know he, he he talked to me after the fact he said you could you could talk your way out of a paper bag i mean you 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 seriously could just and i've just i've sort of had that ability all the way through and it's it's recognizing it's recognize the people i'm talking to recognizing what makes them tick and so i've ha- kind of had those skills all the way through that just sort of grew into leadership for me right um Maybe I'm just different. Maybe I'm truly a, a different bird um, in that respect. Well, so I, I would say, you know, some, 
some of the things that I see in, in the way that you lead that I admire is um, you're an excellent communicator. You're very empathetic towards people and you're amazingly transparent. And I guess one of the things that I, that I, I'm kind of thinking about here as part of our conversation is that I, I agree with you that you have to master your skill and duty before you can make a difference. But there comes a point, I think, in people's careers, or at least I, I, I wonder, maybe it's not true for you, but I think for me, there came a point where, where I said, you know, just, just getting smarter at what I do isn't going to actually make the difference. It, it's going to be how I communicate with people, how I lead people, how it, it's, it becomes that people first thing as opposed to a, a skill set first thing. And there's a tipping point someplace along the career path where that makes a difference. I don't, I see you nodding your head. So you, you must have had some sort of experience like that, at least somewhere. Yeah. And so, I mean, so I, I changed just within my, so, you know, I, I, I really thought I was really good yeah. at doing what I did. Right. And we all think that, right. So I was really good at influencing and presenting and, and, um, so, so truth be told, I mean, again, in the, in the spirit of transparency, yeah. you know, hopefully you don't have more than two listeners. Um, <laughs> so I was at the same time, um, this role in MCW came up, I was in the running just before that I was in the running for the CIO at my former institution. And, um, I was told by the CIO, the CO at the time, you're the guy and, and you're going to be it. And so, I mean, I was going in, I was riding a pretty high wave and uh, I went through the interview process and I finished five out of six, uh, and only because the sixth person person dropped out. Um, so it was kind of humbling, and I thought, well, they've just they just must have got it wrong. And and so then I, you know, I I decided probably because of ego a little bit, I decided to look elsewhere. And at the same time, I had a couple of offers, not offers, but opportunities come my way. And again, I showed up at MCW, and they um, they agreed to their intelligent approach for somebody like me, they agreed to get me a coach. And so I got to interview, and hopefully this is too long a story, I got to interview the two coaches. And the first one I, I interviewed, we laughed, we almost cried. I mean, it was, just, it was just a great exchange. And I thought, well, she'd written a book. I mean, how, I mean, of course she's my coach. And so I entertained the interview for the next one just, just because out of courtesy, right? And so I sit through the next one and it's very understated and very low key. And I'm just kind of talking through it. And at roughly minute 53, it becomes very apparent to me that she is, she has sort of led me unknowingly through an entire path of conversation, not manipulated me, but quote. And I realized that the first one was really fun, but the second one is the one I needed. So all of that to say, wow, I had to, I had to sort of reach a new self-awareness on, and this may not be evident as I talk too much, but a self-awareness on when I talk, how I talk, what I say, what I think, what I, what I make space for others to, to do, because it became very apparent to me that as good as I thought I was, I actually wasn't all that great. And so I had to change my skills. Back to your question, I, I really did come full circle. I, I had to change my skills. I had to adapt to be good at that leadership thing. Otherwise, I was just kind of pushing David down people's throat. Yeah. How do you, how do, you do that for your team? 
how do you help level them up? Can you get, can you give me an example without, without disclosing something personal about anybody on your team? Cause that's not what I'm looking for, but I, I, you're very adept at this and I'm, I'm curious, can you think of an example where you've, you've said, Hey, I could, I, I could help this person with a skill, but instead what I'm going to do is help them lead better and develop somebody that, that specifically around leadership. How do you do that? So there, I mean, there's formal stuff and it's not, sure. it's not sexy, but things like nine boxing and sitting down yeah. and having true conversations about where people are excelling, where they could be a little better. It's a little bit of that succession planning that, you know, you, you think about and as leaders you, you, you should be considering. Um, so there's that formal stuff, but it's, I think it's the less formal stuff day to day that makes the biggest difference. And so when you have those moments, those small moments of awareness and coaching, and you've got good relationship with your people, and it's a two-way street, they can tell you what they think about maybe what I've right. done, and I can in turn exchange my perspective, and it's never a criticism. It's, it's this is what I saw. Maybe I saw it wrong, and and we just right. talk through it. And sometimes sometimes that that sort of informal conversation and feedback, it goes a long way to, especially when they when we respect one another, they sort of reflect some of that. And I'm not trying to get, nor would I want everyone to be me, to be like right. me, we'd be a horrible team. Right. But just because our culture, as leaders go, often their teams go, right? And so I try to lead by example, they pick up a lot of that, and we have a lot of really open, honest conversations about whatever. Sometimes I'll even say, you know, there'll be a moment where, you know, I was really upset when this happened. I'll say, you know, so you said this, you did this. I just want you to know this is my response to it. And it isn't, but they take it in a different way. It's not a criticism. It's not like dad got mad at them. It's, right. we just talk through it. And we usually arrive, well, we always arrive at a really good place. So I don't know if that totally gets to answer your question, but. I, I think it does. I mean, there, there's, in my mind, just kind of one more minute or two on this topic. In my mind, there's a difference between a manager and a leader. You know, if I want somebody to sustain sustain something that's been built, you you look for a manager. Um, if I want somebody to take a team someplace they wouldn't go on their own, I have to find a leader. Um, uh, how do you find those? First of all, do we have both on your team? And then secondly, how do you, how do you put the right person in the right role or how do you find that good leader or develop them? I think you have to have both to your, to your question. I mean, I think you can't have nothing but leaders because quite honestly, would they be as good at management? I mean, would we get anything done or would it just a bunch of people be off thinking about stuff? All, and that doesn't work, but we do have, we do have a blend of, of all and um, a blend of both and you sort of hire for culture, right? You, you hire a little bit for expertise, but those interviews matter a lot. The, 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 and I probably shouldn't say this, the worst interview technique for me personally is when I'm given a script of questions and I have to stick to them. I, I don't, I hate it. I hate it because I still kind of get to know who Brad is in that context, but I don't, I don't get to have a conversation. I don't, and I don't do the typical, give me one time that you failed and how you turn it around. I mean, I don't, that doesn't matter to me. How you present as a as a person 
is almost more important because how you fit into the culture is ultimately how you're going to succeed or not succeed with us, right? I mean, I, parts matter. How you fit together a team, a chessboard, or whatever, it matters. Um, so we're pretty good at hiring, I, I think. Even now, in this sort of difficult post, I say post-pandemic time, we're pretty good at finding talent that wants to be with us that will be a good fit. Um, and I don't know if this is directly related, but in terms of leader versus manager, I think that um, there's there's sort of a formal leadership style and then, and then there's infer, informal environments. And when I say that, I mean, a leader can force anyone ultimately to follow, to do something. But it's only in their sort of, not passive approach, but it's only by how they choose to lead, how they choose, how they choose to embrace that team, their team, that people will choose to follow them. And that's what, that's what you want as a leader. You want a group of people that see in you as a leader, whoever their leader is, that you're going in a direction they want to be a part of. They want to be a part of that team. They want to be a part of that future. You didn't tell them to do it. They chose to do it. You will get a different level of commitment, retention, outcome from that team every time. Yeah, you know, it's that's a great point because um, I, I, when I talk to people and they ask me about leadership, I, one of the things I tell them is that the the first thing about becoming a good leader is discovering what you need to be to create good followers. Because you can't actually be a leader without a follower, <laughs> right? And if you can't create people, if you can't develop relationships that people want to follow, it doesn't matter what you do. You'll never be a good leader. And uh, I, I see that in your team, and I see that in the way that you operate. It's uh, it's very cool to watch. I, I'm going to go to this um, people first thing and take it to a different direction. And that that's really around this idea um, that uh, that when you when you engineer or design or use technology as a solution, um, if you don't start with people, then you you can deliver something that matches the spec, but it doesn't mean it's actually going to accomplish the outcome, right? Um, you uh, recently spoke at our national sales meeting, and I'm I'm not flattering. This is a true statement. You, you know me well. Uh, people still talk about your keynote, and just in case you think I'm joking, it happened yesterday. Somebody quoted you, and the thing that they were talking about was this idea. And I'm going to butcher it, so forgive me. But one of the things that you talked about was, "Hey, don't sell me anything. Solve a problem for me." Because every good technology deployment starts with solving a real problem and it's focused on how people engage with it. Um, our, our language around that's human impact. That's the term we use, but I've watched you, this, this has worked well for you. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Explain that? I mean, how, how does this work for you? People first in terms of engineering and design. Well, believe it or not, it's kind of easy. Um, what you have to step back from, there's a core set of things you have to do as an IT team, as somebody that provides technology services to a group. You know, 
Email's got to work. Phone's got to work. Stuff's got to work, right? Um, I mean, I think I might have said something like, it just works. Things just work. Um, and that becomes sort of the, that becomes the new bar sort of every day that people expect from. Things must just work. And you don't necessarily get attaboys for dial tone. You, you don't get attaboys for email coming in. You don't get attaboys for the power at the outlet. Um, you get attaboys, not that we work for that, but by designing services that help people do whatever it is their training, skill, expertise is better. You don't get in their way. You enable them to do the very thing they're good at in service to the people that need it the most in our world. I mean, people are coming for care. You know, these often these are not just well visits. These could be across the whole spectrum of of healthcare, and people go through some pretty serious things every day. And if IT gets in their way, all of a sudden now we're in a place we shouldn't be. We're in between because you talked about relationships. We're in between a relationship that honestly we have no business being in. And so the the, the question is, how do you build services? that reflect the needs of those that use them without being overly directive in what you put out there. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. I want to, I want to go back to something I think I just heard you say. What I think you just said was when IT doesn't do what IT is supposed to do it, the way that IT should be doing it, you get in between a relationship. And I think the relationship you're inferring was the relationship between the doctor and the patient. Is it could be wow. could be the educator and the student could be the community, oh, wow. the community um, facing element of our operation and the least, the last and the lost of those we're trying to help in our region. Um, yeah, yeah. Anytime we're in the middle and we slow things down or we create a hurdle or an obstacle in IT, we're pretty good at doing those things at creating obstacles <laughs> and, 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 you know, just just hurdles to jump over. Um we lessen at least the speed of impact, if not the impact itself, on those that are in that relationship between two parties that we're not a party to, if that makes sense. Oh, it's brilliantly said. I, I mean, one of the things that you talk about, I talk about, I think this is a shared affinity between us, is that um, I'm an absolute believer that what we do is a business enabler. It's not a utility. It's in, and no disrespect to those people, to people who provide a utility, but that, that's not, that's not who we are. That might've been the way that, that business leaders thought about us maybe pre pandemic, but the pandemic absolutely solidified the fact that we're mission critical business enablement, business continuity, all of those things. Um, how do you communicate that? I mean, you, you obviously agree. So what does that, first of all, what does that look like for you? And secondly, how do you communicate that to your team? I think you've seen a lot of, um, you've seen a lot of shift in IT viewed as a, as a commodity, a utility, a, a necessary evil to just running an organization. Uh, I think things have changed. And now more and more companies, MCW included, is viewing it as a enabler, a strategic asset in many ways. Uh, there's still the operational day-to-day -day commodity kind of things, but when you rise above that line, when you think differently and bigger, you realize that it could actually be, it could be a differentiator in how a given organization, certainly MCW, can function and does function to the betterment of its of its of its abilities, 
succeeding in a current environment that's very different than an environment of yesterday. Um, just putting a very broad spin on it. Um, how do we communicate it? I mean, within my own team, we talk about, I connect mission often. So again, I, we're not selling widgets. We're not in retail. We're not in travel. We're not in, we actually impact the very lives I talked about earlier. And we impact people that are serving people at their highest moments and potentially their lowest moments. And we get to be a part of that. You don't get to do that in IT just anywhere. So we get to be as close to that front-facing relationship, ideally without getting in the middle of it. We get to be as close to enabling them to do incredible, mission-driven, heartstring kind of connection work. We get to be a part of that, which then drives strategy, which then drives engagement, which drives all these things. We get to think differently and bigger because we're a part of something that is truly bigger than ourselves. Dude, I want to, I want to park on this for just a little bit, because this is so critical to, um, I think your success. I mean, it's, it's core to our DNA. I, I was speaking at a conference last week and delivering a keynote. And, uh, at the end, I, one of those rare opportunities where there's enough time for questions and answers at the end. And um, one of the guys in the office, uh, a senior IT leader at his organization, uh, said to me, you know, I hear what you're saying, but the challenge for me is I don't get a seat at the table. I'm always the IT seems to always be the last guy everybody talks to. And I don't know how to do what you're at, what you're recommending we do when, when I don't even get invited to the conversation. And my response to him was the the problem is that you're not getting invited the problem is you haven't demonstrated that you're a critical business enabler and if people saw you as the answer to how to get to where they're going there would be no shortage of opportunity for you that's the way i handled the conversation how do you handle it with your team because what you talk about is absolutely in, integrated into your team's dna it isn't and first my first reaction is you probably have one less twitter follower Oh, now, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> but, but you're not, you're not wrong. Um, yeah. sometimes it's not that people don't, the leadership of your organization doesn't, it's not that they don't recognize the, the capabilities of it. Sometimes they're just so focused on other areas in a way they kind of forget about it. If you do things really well, and I think we, we talked about this previously, yeah. If you do things really well, you become invisible. And the problem with becoming invisible is you become irrelevant. So maybe, maybe the opposite is true for this individual in the audience. They're actually, they could be doing things really well, but it's so good that it's an area that just gets lost in the wash of day to day and the pressures of the pressures of the, the business environment, the revenue top line, whatever on the CEO and those that are that are working on those things. And suddenly IT is just, well, let's just get it done. They'll just, it'll all just work out. And they don't think about it in reverse. There's a reason they get it done. There's a reason the organization can do what it does. There's a reason that it's invisible to me as a leader. Um, and so it's not easy. It, it really isn't easy. And I've switched my thought. I've told you this. Uh, I've switched my thought. It's no longer, the goal is no longer being invisible for all of the reasons I just shared. It, it It's instead being visible for the right reasons. And... And I've worked, I've worked 
pretty hard. And we haven't always been with a seat at the table. Um, We've not always had a seat at the table. And for the most part, that was okay because we could still do what we wanted to do and needed to do, both on those below-the-line operational things and those above-the-line strategic things. We made a lot of good decisions collectively. And we did it, again, with the people in mind. And we did it the right way. We didn't just do it on our own in many cases. Um, but but even even within the last two weeks, there was this one group that is that is working on the strategic aspects of our research mission. And it was in a meeting. I looked at it and, and I saw the list of people that are on this this pretty important work group for us for, as an institution. And we're not there. And I said, OK, um, so I, I, you know, again, you've got relationships, you influence, you do what you can. I reached out to one of our senior leaders and said, don't you think there would be benefit, because I do, that we would be there because we're driving a big piece of what they're doing today and what research is going to depend upon and demand in the future. And they said, oh my gosh, by all means, you should be there. And so sometimes you just have to kind of remind people because they're so busy doing whatever it is they do, they're not necessarily thinking about how IT might help them we always have. So why do we need to be at the table? And maybe I'm spinning it for my own restful business. I don't know. I don't know, man. I think it's good. I think what you're saying is good. I think, I, I think it also, there's an element of truly believing that what you're doing makes a difference. It matters to people. Um, I think that that's part of it. Because when, when other stakeholders in your organization see that you're passionate about making that connection and moving forward a common mission, I think they invite you along the way. Um, do, do you think that part of the reason maybe um, if, if a IT leader is not getting a seat at the table is, is they just don't have a common language with business leaders? Oh, very much so. Yeah. And so... Again, kind of go, going all the way back and, and not, not trying to too my heart, but the reason people see me differently is because I don't use our own language. Yeah, I'm, sort exactly. of that, I'm sort of that, um, that uh, UN translator, if you will, between people that speak very different at times than the IT people. IT people want very, they, they love structure. They want structure. They talk in acronyms. They talk in equipment and requirements and all this fun stuff, right? Which is all important. It's not being... What they're asking for, what they're trying to get across to this other party from across the pond is, is, is what they need to help the business people. The business people are saying, I really don't care how it happens. If you get from today to this end state that I've described, and I sure, I didn't give you all the details, but because I don't know all the details, I just know that this is the future I want. Help me get there. There has to be somebody in the middle or you just project management them to death and you, you get somewhere, but you may not get exactly where either party to this project, this process, this idea wanted to get. So if you imagined what your team looked like two or three years from now, how would they, how would that team, and I'm not talking about individuals, I'm just talking about mindsets or, you know, outcomes or whatever, but how would you describe two or three years from now they might be a little different than what they are today? 
Well, I have to be careful because if they choose to listen to this, I, I don't want. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about I'm talking about the culture or the DNA of your team. Well, the reason I say that is because the first thought that comes to mind is um, often when somebody asks us of something or we see a trend uh, in the world, in our space, our first reaction is, well, how is it going to impact us? How is it going to impact us? Do we have the resources? Is it in line with our vision? Is it what we want to do technologically? Is it part of our architecture and, and, and plans? So oftentimes it's not. And, and so, I mean, I'll take, I'll take AI, the most hyped topic of, of our day at, at present, but I think this one's going to stick. Uh, I really do. Um, the first reaction is, well, it's not secure. Nobody knows what it's going to do. I was just, so now I'm rambling. I was just talking to my boss and um, I was meeting with, prior to meeting with him, I was meeting with, over the past couple of weeks, I've been meeting with some faculty at MCW, and we were talking about these these large language models and what their capabilities might be. And you see all these other academic medical centers that are starting to play with it. Epic as a as a the, the leading medical record across most of healthcare in the U.S. and beyond is already playing with it and figuring out how they can make the lives of physicians and nurses and other caregivers better um, in a just a pile of information that is often hard to 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 sift through um and we started with it well we should have a policy we should have a policy around what we do in in, in ai and and a very astute faculty member said we don't have a policy around how we do google searches i mean what what we don't we don't regulate tech at that level in that specificity and so he said, why don't we approach it differently with a little more open mind? And so we're going to do a work group. And so I was talking to my, to look for, to look for use cases that we can rapidly prototype and see if we can make a difference, right? And, and likely those are going to be internal models that run with our institution, which is what you see in other places. But I was talking to my boss and I said, this is where it's different. This is where I'm going to be the hypocrite, right? So now I'm IT. I've heard people, they want us to explore it, but now I'm going to have a tech that is chasing a problem. It's the first time I've ever, ever, ever brought in technology without, without a specific thing I'm trying to, to deal with. Because it's so early. We don't know what it's going to do. And my boss says, so what are you going to try to fix? I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to fix, but I guarantee you there, there, there are applications of this technology today and in its future that are going to make us different. And if we don't embrace it, if we don't think differently, back to our mindset as a culture, both me and the future of our team years from now, we will become irrelevant for different reasons. Not necessarily because we did a good job, but because we didn't embrace something that others are in mass. Yeah. So uh, can, can we spend another minute or two on AI? Because interestingly enough, it was, it was the topic that I spoke at at the conference as well. And I mean, as you said, this is your show. So we can spend as many minutes as you'd like. Oh, man. Let's wait to toss that back at me. I love that. So, so in, in this case, what I think I heard you talk about was the fact that you're going to, you're going to just prototype it and model it. And it's, it's not designed for a specific end. It's a, it's, it's consumed to learn and then allow those experiences to define, uh, you know, how to, how to make it productive. 
Is that what you're doing? Yeah. So the, the, the goal is, and I'll meet with our faculty leadership committee uh, on Monday morning early, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about this and we'll start to, we'll, we'll gather a very small, but strategically minded work group to not overthink this, but identify some very specific things we can use, perfect it on. And, and, and you may be, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I wasn't until I honestly, our faculty educated me. And again, that's back to never stop learning. And I don't know every fact I'm, as they often say, you'll hear people say, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm glad they don't take IQ tests in many of these rooms. Um, there are models, hundreds of models that are out, out there now that you can run internal to your organization. You can run them on. Some people think you have to have these massive computer arrays behind them. You don't really. Now at scale, I believe you need them, but just to work with them, to play with them, stand them up on a virtual machine. I've got somebody that's running the same faculty. He's running it on a, I think it's an eight-year-old Microsoft service. And it's just cranking away. This is not a Microsoft ad. It's just working on a surface. And so when you run them internally, you, you know, there's this perception that if you give all your information to, and it's real, to a public chat GPT or BART or DeepMind, any of these others, your information goes through something that's not in your control. But if you run the models internally, you get to adjust the probabilities. You get to train it on a very specific thing. And that's what we're going to do. That's what, we're, like what others are doing. It just makes sense. I, I think that's great. I, I'm a big believer in hyper prototyping and and designing for the next phase, not designing for the end result. Because today I can't actually predict what the end product is supposed to look like, and 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 the things change so rapidly that if I do try and design for something that that's uh, that's that end final end product, if I try and design that today, I'm going to miss out on all of the evolution of what that's going to go through in the next, you know, six to 12 months. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in hyper prototyping. That's what you're doing. It sounds like, I think that's fantastic. And we talked about this because this is, as you imagine what your team looks like over the next couple of years, um, you're going to, you're going to figure out how to integrate this into the culture and the DNA and vision of your team. I think that's great. Yeah. One of my leaders often says, uh, he, he uses phrases like this often, but you have to, you sort of have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? And this is what, and IT people are, they're not, they're not good at that typically, right? And so I really do like his phrase um, because it does speak to what I hope, back to your question, I hope in the, in the months and years to come, we just get comfortable. Tech has changed a lot and, and maybe I'm just hyper-focused on the, the current changes, but it just feels different. I mean, I think cloud's taking on a bigger, a, a, a bigger element of our world. We're already hybrid, but we're we're moving even greater things to bigger, more important tier one kind of things of our operation out. And um, and so when you do that, your skill sets change, your team changes, and it it's it's either a threat to your future or it's an opportunity that could make your future that much better, that much more engaging, that much more fun and impactful. And that's where we have to think about differently in the years to come as a team. Super good. If uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with this uh, final question, and that is um, if, if a younger version of you uh, came, to, came to you and said, hey, what should I be thinking about to become uh, this people first leader? How would you, how would you coach them today? Somebody younger that's 
trying to figure this this road out, how would you coach them on how to get there? Man, that's a, that's a way to end on a really deep question. <laughs> as much as you think you know, you know a fraction of that. So don't be so cocky. Don't. And, and, and it's, it's rough because you have to be confident to succeed. You have to be confident to be viewed as somebody that can own a task and lead it and move it forward in any level of your career. Even in your entry role, you have to be confident enough to get that task done. But if you, if you blow past confidence and it's just sort of covered in ego, you'll actually be destructive to your future. And... I don't know that I was people first at the beginning. I don't, I, I think I kind of, I valued people and I recognized their, their value, but I don't know that I truly valued them the way I do now. And it's so unfortunate because, you know, what we, what we knew in our twenties, what we knew in our thirties, what I knew is it's part of today, but what I really needed to be successful was what I know now. And unfortunately, I think I just made it through my 20s and 30s and got lucky enough to get to this kind of knowledge because so many people can get derailed along the way and never have the opportunity to get to where hopefully you and I are in this space of learning, which is very different. It's, it's, it's more about giving back. Um, HR, our leader of HR says, which maybe this sounds wrong, they don't necessarily pay us for what we do anymore. They pay us for what we know. And... I just don't think my 20-year-old, 30-year-old self knew anything. I could brute force anything. I could talk my way through anything. I wasn't always right. I was also, at times, kind of a jerk. Um, I don't want to end on the word jerk, but that's what, that's what I would say. That's what I would say. Well, buddy, we did it. We made a podcast. And to your credit, I forgot the camera was there. Just like you said I would. Just like you said I would. Buddy, every time we do this, whether it's just you and I hanging out with a cup of coffee or it's, you know, something that's formal like this, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. You're, you're, uh, you're very skilled and gifted at what you do. I love the fact that you love people. Uh, you appreciate technology and love people because that's, I think how you've, uh, really helped transform the mission of the medical college of Wisconsin. Thank you for giving us your time today. You are too kind. Thanks for inviting me.